Welcome to the Finance Cafe podcast, the business podcast for women entrepreneurs that breaks through the money taboo and explores what's behind the numbers. Join your hosts, Shannon Peston and Shauna Frederick every week as they dive into conversations about business and finance with women entrepreneurs and the experts that support them to answer all those questions you have about the numbers and maybe some you haven't even thought of yet. With their combined experience in business, finance, and accounting, Shannon and Shauna know that financial management is more than just understanding the numbers, but understanding how our unique lived experiences, knowledge, thoughts, and behaviors around money shape the financial decisions we make in our companies. Here on the Finance Cafe podcast, presented by Canada's Women Entrepreneurship Knowledge Hub, we're changing the way we talk about business and finance, empowering women entrepreneurs to see their business in a new light one conversation at a time. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Finance Cafe, where today I'm sitting down with Carol Achillian, Director of Marketing and Business Development for the Financial Alliance for Women. And I'm so excited to sit down with Carol because I met her a few years ago in Paris. And at that point in time, I was leading a women's banking strategy for a bank here in Canada. And I was attending this conference in Paris that was hosted by the Financial Alliance for Women because I wanted to be able to understand how financial organizations around the world were growing their businesses by accelerating women's financial power. Obviously, we're coming out of International Women's Day, which was held on March 8th. And the theme this year was around embracing equality. And as I embrace the importance of that date and the importance of the theme of this year's International Women's Day, I'm excited to talk about what embracing equality means for accelerating women's financial power. So, Carol, I'm so excited to have you. Thank you for taking the time for us to share your knowledge and your perspectives. And I think we might even have a couple of controversial conversations around here because this conversation tends to make, tends to put a bit of people on the offside uh, sometimes when we talk about gender equality in the financial world. So, Carol, I'm so excited to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you, Shannon. I'm very excited to be here. And yes, uh, Unfortunately, if I, if I can maybe say it this way, being in this sector and being in this domain for years, I think all conversations are controversial, uh, yeah. no matter how you look at it. So it's okay. It's nothing new, but it, uh, perseverance is, is really key for this uh, to really make things happen. Well, it always takes advocacy to create change. And thank you for helping to lead some of that for us, not just in Canada, but really focused on a global perspective. So let's talk about the Financial Alliance for Women and the role it plays and why you're so passionate. And maybe even tell us a little bit about the role that you hold within the organization. Sure. The Alliance for Women is the leading global network of financial organizations dedicated to championing the female economy. And you'll obviously you will not be surprised to know that the female economy is the world's largest, fastest growing market. And unfortunately, it still remains completely underserved, even untapped, if I may say it that way. Mm-hmm. So we help our members create and implement their own women-centered strategies uh, with our unique peer uh, learning uh, activities that we do. So we create sophisticated knowledge sharing environments. We we grant the members uh, unparalleled access to best practices from across the globe. We provide proprietary strategic insights. We have 
publications, uh, thematic publications, as well as case studies where we deep dive on particular members that are uh, true champions within their markets. And we just, you know, do everything possible to make them uh, become successful women market uh, program owners globally. And this is what we do. And why it's a passion? Because I think I will say from my personal perspective, because I, I come from I'm Lebanon and I joined the alliance in 2019 as a as a team member. But before that, I have been a member of the Financial Alliance for Women since 2011 with the institution I used to work with uh, in Lebanon. And when the first notion of, you know, doing something for women came up at the bank, I was very hesitant and I was one of the people that pushed back. And my first statement was, why? Why do we want to really highlight women? Why do we want to put them out there and say, oh, I'm doing something for you? It feels like a, a pity or a charity case. You know, it, it felt like that, at least. I'm like, we're financial institutions. We're supposed to serve all clients, no matter who they are. We shouldn't really be doing much. But I was handed the project uh, to lead it. And when I started doing my research and I started really going deeper into the topic, and I went and attended some of the Alliance events, it was a shocking eye-opener. Because that exact thinking of believing that being the neutral and having that neutral stance means that you are actually quite equitable and equal on how you look at your clients is exactly what is the root of the problem, and it's not working. Because the system and everything has been put in place years and years and decades and maybe centuries ago by people who are not the today's target market. And therefore, it's completely uninclusive and very exclusive, might I add. And I think being someone who was working in the space, in the sector, on a daily basis, and, and was you know pushing back on the idea so going from there, I think that made me even more passionate about the topic because I saw where I was wrong and I learned what needs to happen and I applied it and I saw the difference. And, and that's when, I, you know, it was a big plus for me that I'm able to now move outside of that zone whereby I was doing that, the effort locally in Lebanon, which kind of, by the way, put them on a, on a global map as a regional and a global best practice. Uh, to be able to then move to the alliance and be able to really support this institution, this organization, to get as much you know global ripple effect as possible and get as many institutions in the world as possible to really do something about it. Wow. So I think that's where the passion comes from, because I was one of the people that stood up and, and, and said no in the beginning. I love it. I was just going to say, I love how honest you are about being blind, I will say, to the problem and the root cause of the problem. And, you know, and I know from my own experience as well, trying to create a women's banking program inside a financial institution. I remember one person saying to me, I don't think we need to belong or are, we should be making our mark on gender equality. Like, I'm not sure that's where banking fits into this. And my perspective at that time was this is not so much a gender equality issue. If, if this is the way that the bank is going to take a look at it. Take a look at it then from the business case of what the bank is losing out on by not harnessing the full untapped potential that was sitting within women's economic empowerment. So, you know, I love, I love that you um, can talk about your own perspective 
in the beginning because I still I still spend a lot of time in the financial sector here in Canada talking with people at various levels uh, within the organization. And it's still a conversation that we need to have. It seems to me that we're still trying to prove the business case. So thanks to all the work that you're doing there. You also mentioned uh, earlier on that the female economy is one of the world's largest, fastest growing markets. So tell me about some of the drivers. Why is that statement true? Wow. Uh, There are so many drivers on that front. Uh, But, you know, let's start from simple, basic consumer behavior perspective, right? 85% of women globally take charge of the day-to-day expenses. We know this from multiple uh, statistics uh, across the globe, different studies done. And today we know that they control more than $32 trillion in spending on a, on a yearly basis. So, so that makes them a huge market to start with. I mean, and th- this includes financial decisions as well. So imagine 85% that really leaves room out for very little where women don't have a say, and we don't even know if they have a say or not there. From an entrepreneurship perspective, more and more women are starting their own businesses. Today, we know for sure that there are 140 million women around the world running established businesses, but these are the established ones. We know that there are way more informal ones. And we know that a lot of the time, you know, with the gig economy and everything that's happening, we have a very large number of informal businesses that are out there. And these are led by women, for sure. From a wealth perspective, we know that more and more women's wealth is increasing. They are controlling today around 93 trillion of wealth. And more and more, uh, we know that they have the double inheritance, both from their husbands, because they outlive their husbands, as well as their parents. And so if we really don't know how to serve women properly, imagine all of these trillions of dollars that are on the table, and they're just left there with the women client being unsatisfied with the service she's getting. And that money being untapped into by financial service providers because they just don't know how to do it right. Because they don't have that intentional effort to do it right. So I know here in Canada and is certainly around the world, I, I mean, I think maybe one of the misconceptions here in, in, say, Canada and the U.S., from what I've noticed, is we tend to assume that because we are a developed country, that we don't have equality issues, particularly in our financial service environments. And, I, you know, I remember sitting in Paris thinking, you know, Canada was really showcased as being a leader in women's entrepreneurship. And yet, when I thought about the financial sector, uh, at this point in time, there weren't many formalized programs in the financial institutions here. And I thought, well, how can we be a leader in women's entrepreneurship if we're not a leader inside the financial services sector? which is so important when it comes to opening up the purse strings and giving women access to the capital that they need to start and grow. So you've got that global lens. And I'd be really curious to know, is Canada, are we really as as forefront or at the forefront as we think? Or do we have more work to do than we realize? Honestly, there's a lot of work to be done. In Canada and similarly in Europe and in all of these regions that where people believe that because from a societal perspective, there is some more emancipation and there's more gender equality, that this also applies to the business world, 
but it's not the case. The business world is very particular, and especially the financial sector uh, in particular, is still very much led by conventional, traditional mindset. And this is where the change needs to happen. The, the problem is, most of the time, think people are still very product-centric uh, in this institution. And that shift from product centricity to customer centricity, that's where the main challenge lies, right? And this is what we really want to talk about is it's not only about doing an exclusive effort to, you know, target women, because that in itself makes the, the concept of exclusivity still present. The idea is it's not about exclusivity. It is about inclusivity. And to do that, what you need to do is you need to understand your client. You need to understand your customer. And you need to understand that your responsibility is beyond just providing financial transaction products. And once you understand that, and once you understand really your market, that's when you start creating programs, products, and services that cater to all of the market. And by becoming customer-centric and really more inclusive and understanding and, and, and gender intelligent in this concept, then you actually become a much better institution for all your clients, not just women. So I think it's it's just, it's so basic and it's so simple, but it requires intentional effort. And this is where we really need to, to make, see the this, this difference uh, start happening. You know, and I think there's a lot of people probably that think that they have that intentional effort. But I, one of the things that I want to talk about is another word that you mentioned, which is gender intelligent. And when we take a customer-centric perspective, what does it really mean that we need to take a gendered approach to the financial service providers or for the financial service providers or with respect to the whole financial services industry? So in what ways do women actually want uh, different experiences or how are women underserved? You mentioned underserved or unserved even, I imagine, in some cases. Yes. Very much so. There's something I want to say before I go into and, and answer your question in full. Uh, just to showcase the tragic state of where and why there there's just not enough being done for women. When the pandemic hit, two years into the pandemic, the first assessment of the you know growth opportunity that was being missed was five trillion dollars, right? Globally. So the impact of the COVID, at least in the in the beginning, year and a half, it was $5 trillion. And the governments went crazy. They're like, oh, my God, $5 trillion of lost opportunity. And they threw in $8 trillion of fiscal stimulus to fight the pandemic. Okay, I'm not talking about 2023, but I'm talking about, you know, late 2021. You know, at that time, what was the lost opportunity of not targeting the female economy? $12 trillion. We put in, as a global government, $8 trillion of fiscal stimulus for a $5 trillion deficit due to pandemic. Whereas we had the $12 trillion opportunity of really within that same period to support women and cover not only the loss we had from the pandemic, but even way beyond that. And yet, that's not the number people talked about. People were, you know, going after the pandemic. So there is unfortunately a, a blind eye somewhere that, you know, it just needs a lot of awareness creation on and on. And sometimes 
we do this so often. We talk about this topic so much that we feel we're just repeating ourselves and people are bored from hearing it. But it's shocking because at every room we enter and we talk about it, there's a large part of the room population that still are not aware of these simple yet you know, important numbers that really make a difference. Uh, and so so this is something that I wanted to raise because it's it's really critical that we understand the real opportunity that are out there. And, and yes, as you said it, it is a pure business opportunity. Yes, there is a, a win-win that comes with it that is a societal win from a, a different perspective. But we're not looking at it from that perspective. Just look at it from a business opportunity, pure business opportunity. It's a huge target market, and it's not being served. So, to answer your question about you know what it is that women are actually looking for in a way when we say customer centric, the idea is to understand really what they want and to understand the life cycle and the needs and the challenges. So there needs to be some sort of a market research or understanding by the institution to really know what's really what one the women today are facing in terms of challenges, but not only women, if you really go dig deep and look at a woman SME and a regular SME led by a man, you'll see that there are a lot of similarities of challenges. It's the the behavior of how they approach the institution that really blinds the, 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 the financial service provider of what women might be needing because women would approach the, the bank with smaller amounts requested versus a man. And so they would always think that the business is smaller, but that doesn't necessarily mean that. It simply means that there is a, a financial behavior that leads women to go and ask for smaller amounts because a lot of the times they do personal investments and they go for personal sources before going to a bank versus a man that would just simply go and ask for the full amount from the financial institution. But when we only look at what we see, we only we analyze it with the wrong assumptions. Uh, so there is a real understanding that needs to happen as to why we are where we are. And this is where a lot of the times we have myths that are out there and that, you know, most of the financial leaders are subject to. And, you know, we did a research a few years back with McKinsey at the time, and we discovered when we interviewed uh, the CEOs of large financial, global financial institutions, you know, we got four myths uh, that came out of that. One was that women and men are the same in terms of financial needs. Second was that they just need products that are more feminized in case they want something for women. The third was that there is no business case to serving women. And then the fourth was that there is actually no data on gender. And so we took it upon ourselves to kind of demystify all these four myths and, and really prove that one, uh, men and women have different attitudes towards finance. And this is where, you know, a lot of work needs to happen uh, to customize your offering to women accordingly. Two, that serving women is about more of a holistic approach, like I was discussing. And it's not only about, you know, those financial products. A lot of the time there is a gap in financial understanding and financial literacy that needs to be covered. Uh, there is There needs to be an understanding that you know, a lot of the times there are societal constraints as to how much a woman is networked versus a man. And we know that if you really look at their networks, uh, a woman's network is much, much smaller than a man's network when it comes to businesses. 
and and we know that you know accessing more markets and being able to to find clients and partners and suppliers you know the more your your network is bigger the the, the better your chances are and and this is where financial institutions can come in and and provide structured environments that allow women to grow their network, taking into consideration many of the challenges they may have, right? They don't have the luxury of going to a five to seven after work a lot of the times because they have to go around home for the kids. Unfortunately, we shouldn't always look at it only from one community's perspective. We're looking at globally, and this is the case in so many countries. The third, the fact that there is no business case. I mean, I just we already spoke about those. I mean, it's the women's market is is so big, uh, and it's such a profitable opportunity. It's it's just crazy to say otherwise. And the fact that there is no data. I mean, we've proven uh, year after year we have a publication that we provide, which is called measuring the the value of the female economy. It's public and it's on our website, and anyone can go and access it. Whereby we collect data from our own members. And so these are all members that intentionally target women. And so it's the most accurate data you can have in the world. Uh, so we we gather their uh, their data and we anonymized, obviously, and aggregate them and, and provide a global overview of what the real opportunity of the, of the women's market is globally. And so there is data and there's so much data, but the, the problem is we're not looking at the data. And we're not analyzing the data and we're not sex disaggregating the data. And that's why we have a lot of effort in 2023 as Alliance to really have a good focused initiative on getting the data people really to understand how to look at the, their own mine, you know, gold mine that they have internally. A lot of the times we have systems that are don't incorporate the right flags. Uh, but even if we do have the flags, if the business people are not asking for the data, then the data people are not doing the analysis. So, so it's all about really bringing in the business people and the strategy people and the data people to really understand that you have that data, how to analyze it, what to do with it, and how to build a whole strategy based on that. So you have your internal and your external data. You just have to really intentionally look at it. Yeah, you mentioned so many different groups of people inside the financial services sector that have to be part of this strategy. Like this is not a marketing strategy. Like this is a true understanding how to harness the full potential of an entire customer segment that has been really underrepresented. You know, it was so tricky for me because even inside when I was at the financial institution, I couldn't get the data. And it was so tricky to know how to present the business case when I couldn't say things like, well, how much of our loans went to women-led companies this year versus men-owned companies? And it was very difficult because without that data, it was so hard to justify the business case and show that this wasn't just the nice thing to do or the right thing to do, but the smart thing for organizations to do. You need the data to get the business people and you need the business people to get the data out. So it, it becomes a challenge, but it is really important. And the data is actually really there. But there are small challenges that people kind of blow it. I don't know if they blow it out of proportion. For example, we have some banks that come to us and say, well, you know, there are data usage restrictions within our country and, and we can't really look into the data and, and do much with it. So the idea is you're not selling the data. You're not using it in the wrong 
way or fraudulent way, what you are actually doing is analyzing your own portfolio. And a lot of the times when, you know, one of our members, and we also have a, a member in Canada, and, and, and they were facing this problem as well. We were we asked them to really just look at the, the SME data and really see which entrepreneurs and or which uh, businesses are, are led by women or owned by women and really do some analysis on it. And they couldn't officially do it on the system, on the bank's system. What they had to do was have an external manual Excel sheet and manually track it. That's not sustainable. That doesn't that doesn't put the bank on the right path to doing anything right, uh, to creating a program, to getting top management buy-in on any strategy. Uh, it just it just sends the wrong signal. And so this is where we have a, a challenge, right? The data is there. Just look at it. And, and we're not asking the you to use that data in any marketing or wrong message way. You know, it's just it's so simple. It's you're analyzing your own data as an organization, as an institution. But it's always easy to hide behind simple laws that are out there and, and misinterpret them and just, you know, claim that it's it's much harder because it is a mountain to have to climb doing the strategy. And I certainly know that it can be overwhelming when it's a new initiative within a big system like the financial industry. You know, I want to be able to give some, this podcast, you know, we're here certainly to give women entrepreneurs the context in which they're living in. But also, we know we have so many people from inside the financial industry that listen to the podcast. And as someone who has been there, done that, brought a strategy to life um, and executed it um, and championed it really, I guess, was the biggest part of my work. I know how difficult it can be to present that business case. We just talked about the data, um, but also for helping to figure out how to bring certain strategies, whether it's, you know, helping women to connect to more of a professional network, or if it's building financial capacities, or it's increasing their knowledge around financial products, or even what products they would be of benefit to, to them. I know it can be really challenging to think about this you know, in terms of what do women really want? And I'm curious to know, what are some of the barriers that some of your members, because I think it's going to give comfort to a lot of the people that are trying to put in more equitable strategies, whether it's for women entrepreneurs or in Canada, we're starting to see other strategies emerge like programming for Indigenous uh, entrepreneurs or for Black entrepreneurs. And I think those barriers are probably pretty similar. But so that people don't feel so alone in this work, because it can often feel like, you know, going up a mountain with a bucket and that bucket is filled with water, but it's in a bucket full of holes. So how can we encourage these people that are inside the organizations trying to implement some of these programs? And and what are some of the barriers that they can expect? And maybe even how can they overcome some of them? Who's doing it so well that we can learn from? At the Alliance, we have 90 plus members now. Uh, and I can proudly say uh, at least a good 50 are, are really mature champions of the female economy. So there's a really large number of institutions that are doing it right. I think one of the, the challenges, and, and this is, we're, we're talking internal challenges at the moment from within the institution. The challenges are not having a sponsor from a management level of this, preferably top management, getting the CEO or a C-suite sponsor. To really champion this is important because it this is it this cannot be bottom up. It has to be top down, and it, it needs to come with a buy in at the top level. So that's one. A second one is not doing 
the work. So burning steps. If you just say you want to do something and you try putting out campaigns and, and pulling marketing stunts and doing ad hoc initiatives, it doesn't work because women will burn you. You need to have all of your front lines, all your touch points with women be on the same level. You cannot have a different experience in a branch versus a different experience at a, on a call versus a different experience on the website versus a different experience. It, it cannot be. It needs to be a unified front. It needs to be the same message, the same experience, the same journey for them. So you cannot burn those steps. You need to pull in the work. You need to do the research. You need to understand your client. You need to structure a strategy. And then you need to get your institution on board before making any public announcements. So if you don't have that, if you're not unified internally, don't go out externally. Because if you burn yourself with a client, with women in particular, it's going to take double, triple the effort to fix the burn, and then to go out there again the right way. So just do it right from the first time. Don't rush. It's okay if you're three months late, you're already 50 years late. So <laughs> be a few more months late, but go out there the right way and, and really have the right structure uh, when you do. So yes, so there's a lot of internal training, and that's where they find a lot of resistance as well. Not all frontliners will be jumping in. And then Another challenge would be the silo effect and overcoming that because as long as you put a team that is going to handle the women clients, that's the only team that's going to handle the women clients. If it's not mainstreamed, if it's not streamlined completely within the institution, if it's not measured, it's not sustainable. It's got to be measured. It's got to be part of the KPIs. It's got to It's got to be, you know, fully integrated within the institution. And so it's only then then it can become a sustainable program. And then you need to make sure you have your, your HR on board. Uh, you need to also probably from the get-go start working on a DNI initiative. You know, you need to have to make sure that women are not going to accept an offering from you if you don't have the same offering for your own women you know, employees, if you're not walking the talk, mm -hmm. you, you can't sell. It doesn't work that way. They'll see through you. So it's got to be a full commitment from the get-go. So I think there needs to, so eventually you get that program out there, but you need to start working on your DNI as well. And then we all, anyway, we will see it naturally. One leads to the other, right? If you have the right DNI strategy, eventually you will create a women's market program because you have the right people at the right places who are going to see the opportunity that's being missed. And then if you start really working on that, you will see that you need to catch up by having the right people in the right places internally to keep the, the program sustainable and, and really moving in the right direction. So. You know, you make me so excited about the work that I used to do. I, I, I still think about all the things that I would love to do inside a financial institution. If I could recreate it from start, what that would what, what, what that would look like. Um, I just think it's such an incredible opportunity to really transform the way that we serve women customers. And to all of you who are out there working on these women's uh, 
whether it's women's entrepreneurship or women's banking programs, continue to do the work. I know it can feel sometimes like it's you're like going up that mountain, but just just hang in there. Now, uh, Carol, in 2018, uh, Canada launched what is now a six billion dollar women's entrepreneurship strategy. And the primary goal behind it was to double the number of women entrepreneurs in the country by 2025. And I had the incredible privilege of working with the Minister's Office of Small Business Export and Trade at the time, uh, the Honourable Mary Ng, who had created a panel of advisors to help bring the strategy to life. And one of the key pillars of that strategy was to focus on access to financial capital. And so uh, another part of the pillar, of course, from that strategy is Canada's Women Entrepreneurship Knowledge Hub, which became an important data set and data center to help inform the government and their strategy. And like you, we've also uh, you know, uncovered that women show they're a good credit risk, but yet at the end of the day, we're still not getting the credit. So from your perspective, what can you tell us about this? Like, is this because banks aren't adapting their products to meet the needs of women? Is it lender bias? Is it that risk frameworks today are just not suitable to what the market actually looks like? Like what insights, and I'm just throwing out a couple, I don't want to lead the witness here, but what insights can you share? Well, it's a bit of everything, isn't it? There's definitely lender bias. The fact that uh, there are some sectors where where we even see women being fit, and so therefore, if women are from that, uh, with you know, work within that industry, there's definitely bias there. There is bias. I mean, if you would just close the name on the application form and not really see and really look at just the pure business, uh, I think numbers would be quite quite different. Uh, but it's unfortunately it's always there and what we're seeing now is more and more the integration of fintechs uh, that are coming up with more differentiated credit scoring opportunities that are uh, showcasing that it's making a difference and it's getting more women uh, access to finance and we're starting to see when when those fintechs came to light and and you know up until maybe end of last year fintechs were always seen as competition to financial institutions and it was always this exclusive relationship if you're with the fintech then you're not with the bank and if you're with the bank you're not with the fintech but now i think they have reached a point where they see the real opportunity of collaboration Fintechs bring to the the financial ecosystem and the financial banking you know uh, sector what they miss, which is the agility and the flexibility to make those changes, those drastic changes. Uh, and what the banks can bring to the fintechs is that infrastructure and that network, which is hard for for them. Uh, so I think more and more we're starting to see you know different credit scoring and and really looking at. Uh, cash flow lending, looking at what you're considering as financial behavior analysis uh, that's being done and that financial institutions are now starting to incorporate within their credit review policies. And and so it's starting to pick up, but it's a slow process. It's just starting now. So, so you can imagine the time it's going to take because one, empirical data is, well, not really going to be very helpful in this. in this. And so we're just building that new benchmark and baseline on which we can start building future movements you know within the sector so so i think it's going to to start becoming different it's just 
going to take some time. It's only natural. But definitely, you are correct. From a credit risk perspective, all of our data year in, year out shows much better NPL rates for for women than for men from a retail, from an SME perspective. You know, no matter how you look at it, they are better repayers. Uh, there's no questions asked there. Are some of the global members tracking things like default rates too? Yes, all of them. And all of them unanimously record better performance of women clients. So showcasing that women are great at better. their debt. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They are they are the ideal customer. You know, which brings me to another question, I guess, and it's it's our definition of risk. And, you know, I, I understand the importance of risk frameworks. Believe me, I come from banking I, and, you know, you want to be aware of the risks and make reasonable decisions um, around this. But what is your take on a comment that we often hear that women are risk averse? And I know that so many of us that are working in the in the financial sector would say, no, they're not. I think women also have this misconception that they don't want to take risks. They've been really socialized to think that we're not great risk takers. I, I just think we're so risk aware because we do have that holistic perspective around if I do this, this is going to happen. There's always that cause and effect relationship that I see. But I'm so curious because risk ultimately is going to be what decides whether someone's going to be lent to or not. So are we looking at risk in the right way as a financial sector? You said it very right. I mean, historically, women have been dubbed as being risk averse, but now I think we've moved away from that because it's not accurate 100%. They are risk aware. So they are aware. They understand the ins and the outs. They under, they're understanding the, the cause and effect relationship. And I think that is important. And and yes, at, I, I would say that a lot of the times women believe there is more at stake when, it, when looking at the consequences and they count twice before taking the jump, maybe, but they are simply aware, but not averse. It doesn't mean they don't take risks. They do take risks. They just, you know, calculate a bit more uh, jumping in than, than men would. So I want to um, ask you, I know we're almost at time here, and I, a couple of questions that I have left for you is, if you had three tips for financial service providers, what would those three tips be? If you're not doing anything for women, please start. You know, when you want to put an, a correct strategy together, please do it the right way. Take your time, assess, measure, research, understand, put together, test, and then go out. And three, try to get, uh, try to make sure that you have the right buy-in internally uh, before making any promises. So the fourth tip, obviously, is just please come to the Alliance. Uh, I'd love to have a chat with you uh, and really see how we can support you in your in your journey. So definitely that as a fourth. Otherwise, I, I would lose my business development director title. <laughs> well, and let me give a good plug here too, because truly when I think it was, was uh, maybe it was 2019 when we were all together 
um, pre-COVID in Paris. Uh, the, the conference was absolutely mind-blowing to me, and it really validated a lot of things that I felt that I was seeing, but I didn't have the language, I didn't have the context or the affirmation that this was true. And so there's so much wisdom there. And I, what I love about it is you said at the very top of this conversation, our members, your members really are the financial institutions that are trying to develop programs and are tracking the success so that it continues to amplify the business case and the importance for really focusing on untapping the full market potential for women. And so I, yeah, let me give that plug to say that if you're not a member of the Financial Alliance, absolutely check it out. It's incredible research there with a proven history of helping to see what successful women's programs look like, along with a ton of education. So my other question for you on the other side, then, is if you had three tips for women, and we focus a lot on women entrepreneurs, obviously, here at the Finance Cafe, Mm -hmm. we focus on business literacy and business financial literacy for women entrepreneurs. So I'm going to bring it back there. But I also know that women entrepreneurs, I look at them holistically as well. We have wealth needs, we have retail needs. So if you had three tips for women entrepreneurs when it comes to their finances, uh, what would that be for you? One Try to understand your finances. A lot of the times, the first thing we do, we tend to do is hire the, that external support, throw everything on them and just do the work and say, okay, I just sign here. I don't need to understand it. And that's where it's a challenge. You need to understand you're running your business. You need to master it. You need to really understand what it takes to run a business, even if it's not your, uh, your forte. Two, definitely build your network. I think it's very critical for the sustainability of your business to have the right network. Uh, And three, don't be shy to jump in. Don't let anything hold you back, especially yourself. Because I think what holds women back is is themselves most of the time. Often that can be, uh, it can be very true. So when you look to the future, you started with the Financial Alliance for Women in 2019, but yet you've been in this space and doing this work since 2011, uh, when you were called upon to take on that first women's market strategy that you can recall. What is your future vision for accelerating women's financial success? What does it look like when the work is done? I hope we reach the place or the time where we don't need these conversations anymore or these podcasts or these strategies or any of these. But I see that a bit too far in the future. I, no matter, I mean, I'm I'm positive. I'm, I'm not trying to be, uh, to say it's not going to happen. I'm just saying it's taking time. There are too many actors at play. There are too many, you know, roadblocks. There are too many challenges. Uh, that we need to overcome. But the more we unite, the more we spread the message, the faster we get there. And I want to kind of maybe finish it from my end by using our own IWD campaign angle. Because as you said, you know, the Embrace Equity, which is the the global uh, hashtag and the campaign that's out there to celebrate women and, and to, to, you know, put all those efforts together. What I want to say is our hashtag and our our direction is equity is just one decision away. And it is simply just a single decision away. All it takes is an intentional decision to do something. The rest just follows. So just do it. Take that decision. 
Mm, I love that. That's definitely giving me pause for consideration. And and you're right. We are always just one question away, one step away from you know. And and one person really can be the you know uh, change the conscience of an organization or an industry as well. So never be scared to go out there and and make that change. Carol, anything that I should have asked you today, but I didn't, any last words that you want to share with our guests before I let you go? I really, really want to stress on the fact that equity is critical and neutrality doesn't work. It's it's really, really important. It's so basic, but even equality is not ideal because neutral means you're impartial and, and therefore you're not really doing anything. Equality means that you're treating everyone the same, but not everyone is the same. And that's where the challenge is. Equity is really understanding where people are, what they're doing, what their pain points are, and then really serving them to all have the same opportunities. And so this is what we need to be all really looking at. And and really driving that equity is really something that can be done and it should be done by all institutions. And so just, I hope that we all collectively are able to to put our our minds and our heads and our hands together uh, and really drive the change that we want to see. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and giving us such great perspective on how financial service providers can really change this conversation and the opportunity in front of all of us to create a more inclusive, diverse, equitable economy where more people can succeed. Carol, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us where our audience can find the Financial Alliance for Women. The easiest place, just our URL, just input us that, financialallianceforwomen.org. Just go there. We have a public library with tons of, you know, freely available resources that you can maximize on in building your business case. We have tools that are there, but most of all, you can just reach out to me. Uh, I don't know if maybe in the, the intro, you can put my email or you can put info at financialallianceforwomen.org. Just reach out. Uh, more than happy to to support you. And, and really take possible collaboration forward. Well, thank you. We'll make sure that we have all of that in our show notes. To all of our listeners, we hope you enjoyed International Women's Day 2023, where the theme is Embrace Equality. We look forward to seeing you next week again, same time, same place at the Finance Cafe. Thank you for listening to the Finance Cafe podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know by leaving a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. And to ensure you never miss a new episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. If you'd like to stay connected with us, you can find us on social at The Finance Cafe Official or on our website at thefinancecafe.ca. See you again next week for another episode of The Finance Cafe Podcast.